welcome to the Thrive Subscribe Podcast, where we inspire you, challenge you, and give you the tools you need to transform your pharmacy practice. This week, we talk with pharmacy owner Corey Garvin of Wester Drug in Iowa. Corey and his wife have been pharmacy owners since 2009. And now, here's your host, Randy McDonough. So Corey, um, you know, we this, this discussion really started with a uh, text message that you had sent me um, a, a couple of days ago, and and it really made me start thinking that you're not alone in the question nor the feelings that you might be having as far as what you're seeing within your practice. And if that's all right, I, what I want to do is read the question uh, to the group here, and then have you um, ask questions and respond to that um, question. So the question that Corey had asked me is, how am I viewing pharmacy at this point? And maintaining a positive attitude. So it was a very general question. And I knew where he was coming from because I'm an owner as well, too. But Corey, tell me exactly what you're seeing, what you're experiencing, what your concerns are. Sure. Well, <laughs> excuse me. Over the my wife and I have owned our pharmacy for pushing eleven years now. And we have two pharmacies in eastern Iowa, uh, in Muscatine and in Wilton. Uh, one's a small clinic pharmacy and the other's a general standalone pharmacy in the downtown Muscatine area. And over that 10 years, I have seen, you know, well, it's easy to become negative. I, I feel that we operate in kind of a silo. We don't talk to other owners. So I'm not, I think I know what's going on with others, but I'm never certain. So what I'm seeing is, you know, this, the reimbursement decreasing, these DIR fees that is really a, a challenge because I never feel comfortable with quote unquote what's in the bank um, because you never know what's going to be taken back. Uh, so it's really the the big picture. And, and the other thing that just kills me is uh, Muscatine is where I grew up. That's the, it's my community. I love this community. I love my patients. Um, but for some reason, my patient loyalty seems to be dwindling because I'm, and, and I talk to them after they, after they transfer and they've had some insurance agent, they don't even know them show up at their house to talk about, what their, for example, Medicare plan should be. And they're told that they could save money at another pharmacy, or they're told that we're not in the network and they don't ask us if we're in the network. Uh, so I'm seeing that decrease, it appears to be a decrease in loyalty. I appreciate that, Corey. I think what you're expressing are things that all community pharmacists are, are, are experiencing. And those who are owners or those who are managers, administrators, who actually see the bottom line or are responsible for the bottom line uh, know exactly the concerns that you have regarding DIR fees and how they're non-transparent and they're retroactive so that they're coming out after the fact, after the point of sale, which makes it very challenging, as we know, to run a business and actually budget your uh, your pharmacy as well, too. In addition to the DIR fees, we know just what we're getting paid um, at that time that we are dispensing the medication and those reimbursement rates have gone down as well, too. So I think those are two things before I get to the patient loyalty. Um, from that perspective, Corey, one of the questions I have for you is what other services beyond the dispensing? Because I know, you know, I, I got into the CPAP business because of listening to you present at an Iowa pharmacy uh, meeting. I think it was one of their educational expos many, many years ago when I first became an owner about how you started getting involved in CPAP. So I know you're doing some innovative things there. So what other services do you have and are you bringing in any kind of revenue, new revenue with those services? Sure. 
we we have a, a very active CPAP service. Uh, it's not what we call a what we would refer to as a shop and drop, where we get an order and here's your CPAP machine, good luck. But rather, we try to operate it as a clinical uh, basis. Patient comes in, we spend time with them, uh, usually at least an hour of appointment, going over their CPAP, but also looking at medications and um, whether uh, there are needs for supplements, anything over the counter that may be a problem or could be a benefit, that type of thing. So CPAP, we're very active in, and it does drive revenue. Um, we have a, a, a good, solid supplement business with uh, some uh, professional-grade supplements, and I, I do some consults with that on a fee-for-service basis. Um, that's the Consult service is not a huge revenue driver, but it does drive uh, revenue to some extent. And then the, the supplements on their owner are um, a driver. We have a small compounding lab, um, and we don't do a we don't do a ton there, but uh, it's enough of a diversification that that uh, there's some revenue coming in there. And then another thing that's really gone well for us is is our compliance packaging or what we just simply call bubble packing, <clears throat> uh, whether it be for group homes or just the general public. And we, we, um, we promote that to our patients, uh, especially those that who might be, it might be the medication compliance is the one thing that's finally driving mom or dad to needing assisted living or what have you. So uh, we are able to help folks stay in their home longer if that's the if that's the primary reason that they would have to go, so uh, that those are those are our big drivers. I mean, we do we do oxygen therapy, we do some general DME stuff. We always have done hospital beds and lift chairs and walkers and knee scooters and what have you. But those are those are our primary drivers. Recently, we started the what we call the ex, uh, extended MTM, and I always mess up the initials. Randy, I hope you help me out. The C C E S P N or CP, CPESN. Thank you, CPESN. So we've, we've started that this summer, and I think I had about 25 patients in that. Um, I was able to um, actually engage in every patient that was assigned to me, uh, and some of them had turned down that connection in the past. Uh, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that they're my patients and they know me. And so when I call them to talk about their medications, they're much more open. Uh, so that 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 I'm excited about. I think that's a that's a, a potential a great revenue stream. But, but uh, getting folks to see me as a health provider is still a challenge. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate um, the different things you try to do to diversify your practice. And one of the things I want to um, um, quickly just address is you know the way I look at my practice core is I've really got five and now I call six sections. Um, or departments of our pharmacy. And I always tell the staff that each one of these departments have got to be profitable on their own. But obviously there's interplay between all six departments and there's cross-training and obviously cross-fertilization with, with staffing and, and services that we provide. But if you look at the six areas of my pharmacy, you got the traditional dispensing area, which I don't consider it traditional um, because we try to step up the efforts of what we're trying to work with the patients to really impact their, their drug therapy to help them optimize their therapy. And then as I teach pharmacists and I teach my students and, you know, what we try to instill within Towncrest Pharmacy is at the time of dispensing, when you're encountering the patient, you got to make that encounter count. 
And um, we ask three questions every time we come in contact with the patient, maybe not directly to the patient, but what we're thinking and as we're reviewing the medications and asking questions of the patient. And those three questions are, have they reached the therapeutic outcome? Is the medication safe? Is the medication effective? And by doing that, we've been able to um, uh, have quite a few interventions that we're making on the run and to the point where our staff is making um, 2,000 plus clinical interventions collectively within a month period on a pretty consistent basis. Our second area um, after the dispensing is our clinical area. And we really have diversified the clinical area as well too, and, and has brought in some uh, significant revenue, including the work that we've done with Wellmark and now with the value-based pharmacy program. The challenge with that is you gotta hit certain metrics for the, um, the bonus to actually kick in. But if you do hit those metrics and the bonus kicks in, that's nice extra revenue. But we also have uh, fee-for-service. We also do the adherence packaging. That's probably one of our fastest growing uh, from that perspective. And, and so we've been doing that for a long time. We have um, health screenings. Uh, we have also the enhanced MTM that you talked about. That's a contract that CPESN, which stands for Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network, um, and our particular network in Iowa as a uh, contract uh, with the Blues out of Minnesota to take care of some Part D uh, patients um, who have, you know, uh, complex medication regimens and see if we can improve the medication safety for those patients. So there's a lot of things within the clinic that we're doing, including long-acting injections um, for patients on antipsychotics. So we're just always looking for ways of what we can do to increase that revenue. We also have a pretty robust DME. Now, it's not as probably diversified as what Corey is talking about. We don't do oxygen, uh, but we do um, ostomy supplies. We're, we've been doing ostomy supplies for a long time. And um, much like what Corey said, everything we do with DME is very clinical as well, too, including the CPAP. And I really have never promoted the CPAP services, um, but I do get the information out because I'm sending clinical recommendations and clinical reviews uh, to the providers. And so they see that. So we do get referrals because of that. Then we've got our long-term care, which we take care of quite a few group homes. And plus, we have a traditional um, long-term care facility that is an intermediate care facility and also skilled. And within that, um, we have a different type of a contract. We're considered a combo store. And because of that, then um, we are able to get better reimbursement um, minus the DIR fees, which obviously makes it pretty profitable. And that's a significant part of our business as well, too. The next one is compounding. And our compounding is actually a separate corporation. So much like Corey, I also, um, with my business partner, Mike Denninger, we have two pharmacies that are traditional what we considered you know, traditional community pharmacies, one in Iowa City and one in Solon, then housed within the basement of our um, Iowa City pharmacy is our uh, Towncrest Compounding. And that one has grown as well, too, with very little promotion, just um, you know, letting people know and being very clinical. Um, and so we do get uh, quite a few of those uh, patients as well, too. And last and certainly not least is we don't have a big front end, but we also emphasize um, premium products. And so we also have supplements um, that are considered premium, um, of which we counsel patients. We also identify patients um, you know, who might be at risk of uh, nutrient depletion, uh, talking to them. Um, so we also have looked at our OTC in a much different way of really providing premium products, but also making sure we're counseling the patients appropriately with that as well, too. So that is a way for you to um, you know, start driving new revenue from that perspective. Corey, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, you talked about the enhanced 
MTM in the contract that when you joined CPESN Iowa, um, that you were able to get access to those patients. Where do you see the future of value-based pharmacy and value-based reimbursement? Because you talked about how people are not recognizing you as a provider, and that's frustrating. They just see us as purveyors of drugs. We got to change that mindset, not only with our patients, but all stakeholders and payers included. So from your perspective, um, are you, besides the enhanced MTM, are you involved in any other type of uh, contracts like that? And if not, where do you want to see the future going for your practice? Uh, well, we do the traditional MTM. Uh, but I left that out. But, yeah, we do that. But I don't have any outside contracts beyond that, if you will. Uh, I very much see that the future needing to be the value-based approach. Uh, you know, doing the, the um, enhanced MTM with just – uh, in that in that matrix, the the uh, drug interaction piece that uh, we we have uh, access to to look at the different ISO enzymes uh, for the CIP P450 system, that's actually impacted me in terms of how I counsel patients um, that are not part of that program, just simply from what I've learned there. Uh, and it seems to be that folks are very open to that and, and very appreciative, especially. If uh, I see that there might be a, a potential interaction that can simply be minimized by changing dosing times, because so many times uh, it appears to me that patients are told, oh, you can take everything together. In fact, I'm guilty of saying that myself in, in the past. Um, but uh, I see there being a huge value in the, as a pharmacist, as a value provider, but the challenge is getting there and getting there before I said, I think I said in one of our text exchange before it's too late, uh, but it, it, you know, it's a matter of how to get there because it, for me, I feel that my wife and I operate in a silo and, and that's our own guilt of doing that. We don't probably communicate as well as we should, but I see a great value there. It's just a matter of how to get to that practice approach. Yeah, I appreciate that. And and <clears throat> that is the hard part, right? As we see our re reimbursement dwindling um, on the product side, really the uh, reimbursement on the value base side is not keeping up with the amount that we're losing on the product side. So it is a, a timing game, and but it also means we got to be pretty diligent. You know, I was reading on the plane ride home yesterday, um, I was looking at some Facebook messages and I saw one that um, talked about you know, um, is community pharmacy dying? And and what they were talking about was like the Amazon pill pack uh, type of thing. And in particular, I think this um, this Facebook message was in relation to dwindling jobs for pharmacists and things of that nature. So there's a lot of concerns, a lot of negativity, um, you know, a lot of just fearfulness of what's going to happen to the future of the profession. With that being said. Um, you know, maybe I'm the eternal optimist, but I do believe there's a lot of opportunity right now because I think the thing that you have, Corey, and then what, what I have and what community-based pharmacy, and I use the term community-based pharmacy, that's a pretty broad and general term. So it's any type of a pharmacist who's practicing within the community, and that could be whether it be an independent community pharmacy, whether it be a chain pharmacist, um, or even an outpatient clinic. We're all community-based. We're seeing the same types of patients. But really, with the secret to our success, I really believe, is our accessibility. 
And the Amazon pill pack, maybe they can get drugs quickly. Maybe, you know, they, maybe they can get the medications in a certain packaging, but we can do that as well too. And Corey, you know as well as I do, um, the challenge is when a patient changes drug therapy, what happens to the packaging? And how do right. we really prevent medication errors from occurring? Um, because how do they get that those medication packets back? Whereas being local, we're able to do that. So from, from a community-based pharmacy perspective, I see accessibility to the patient being absolutely essential. I see that face-to-face -face interaction being absolutely essential. What we need to do is start changing the view um, and the perceptions of our stakeholders, and that includes our patients. It's not just that we have a nice, friendly relationship with our patients, but we have a therapeutic relationship. That means that we promise to do what we can to make sure the patient optimizes their medications using all of our clinical skills and knowledge, but in return, the patient needs to provide us with information so that we can do that appropriately, and then we have to work collaboratively with the other providers. So we need to be doing that with our patients. We need to start showing physicians and prescribers that we're interventionists, that we truly are the drug therapy expert. And you know, in the past, I used to say that kind of hesitantly. I don't anymore. Um, we are the drug therapy expert, and especially as you talked about with the platform that you're using to um, identify patients who may have some competitive inhibition going on from a drug interaction perspective. Drug interactions are so unique to what pharmacy has taught that, you know, that's, that could be a big component. But if you look at the types of drug therapy problems that exist out there, adherence is always an issue. The next um, most common type of drug therapy problem is need for additional therapy. Next is we need to increase the dose. Next, we need to decrease the dose. Then you've got uh, side effects and uh, drug interactions. And then you've got something called where they have a drug for which they don't have an indication. And I've got some good examples of that where, you know, we had a patient who has been taking a PPI for years because they had some acute event in the hospital, stayed on it, did not have a compelling indication, and that puts them at risk. I had a patient who had a bleed who was on albumatone that should not have been on it for as long as they did. So we need to be really assertive to really identify those patients who are not optimizing their medications, um, nor are they having, um, you know, safe. Um, episodes with the medications. So we got to be more um, diligent, more proactive, and we got to demonstrate to the providers out there. If we do those two things, get patients on board, demonstrate to the providers that we're doing something different, and then we can start driving drug therapy and making changes and really impacting that patient, then that drives on the payer side um, the positiveness. And that positiveness is we improve clinical metrics which then drive costs and drive costs in a downward fashion. And in fact, as we look at some of the work that we've done with one of the biggest payers in Iowa, although drug costs went up and this value-based pharmacy program that we're participating in, overall healthcare costs went down and, and went down you know, at a, a significant amount from a percentage perspective, if you look at total cost of care, uh, to the point where that increase in drug cost was so offset by the amount that was being saved on the total healthcare cost, which includes increased hospitalizations and increased ED visits and overall healthcare utilization. So we need, that's how we start changing things. We got to change it by making interventions. We got to change it by talking to our patients in a different way, really encompassing that JCPP um, patient care process where we're collecting information, assessing that information, um, developing a plan, implementing the plan, and then uh, monitoring, following up that patient in just a continuous cycle. So it was no longer we're transactional 
with the patient um, when we're filling a prescription, but we're actually, it's a story of the patient over time that we're assessing their medications on a regular basis. By doing that, um, we've been able to be part of contracts. We're making new monies. The other thing, Corey, that we were able to do too is we had a local employer approach us who was not happy um, with the current drug benefit that they had through a traditional PBM and came to us and saying, can we do direct contracting with you? And uh, so we started that in April, which is going pretty well for us as well too. So I think there's a lot of different things going on out there because the traditional way of getting reimbursed, the traditional way of um, employers saving money, everybody says, oh, you'll save money by doing this you know, particular PBM or mail order. It's not true because it was waste. We're not assessing the patient and we know that patients have drug therapy problems. And I always tell my staff, I go into every patient encounter as if a drug therapy problem exists, and most times I'm right. So Corey, what, any response to those things? Well, I have a question, if you will, an applicability question uh, for myself. So whether it be a new patient that walks in your door, or maybe in my case, because our pharmacy's been around for 70 years, uh, a patient who's been coming to the pharmacy for years, um, how do, can you kind of walk me through your view of how, how would I approach that? I mean, how would, what's yeah. your, I mean, how do I start to change that yeah. mindset or, or even if it's a new patient? That's a good question because I, I get asked that question a lot. So if you remember, it was 13 years ago that I left my position um, at the University of Iowa and, and became co-owner of uh, Towncrest Pharmacy. So I was posed with that same scenario that you talk about. You know, one of the things I've learned over the years, especially, you know, I had a practice site when I was at the university, which is at Maine at Locust Pharmacy in Davenport, where I had to start trying to figure out a different way of how do I approach patients and also how do I approach physicians and prescribers in a different way. So when I started at Towncrest, I, I started by talking to patients and saying, hey, I want to let you know that what we're going to do is something different, a little bit different. It's not going to take a lot more time. But because we're being held accountable to make sure that you're optimizing your medications, and Corey, we know that's true, right? With all the reimbursement performance metrics, it, that's true. So, we, yep. And so we want to make sure the patients understand that there's accountability, and not just for us, but also for them. Because as we see insurance rates go up, you know, we want to make sure that they're optimizing their care. Um, because who knows what might be happening to insurance and and premiums and everything else. And so how, what can we do to help overall the system reduce the total cost of care so we can keep costs low and people have access to insurance? They seem to, that seems to resonate. But I tell people then what my thing is, we'll be asking questions. And um, as we ask questions, we're just gonna be collecting this to make sure that you're achieving your therapy, your, optim your goals of therapy. We may be communicating with the physician, but we'll let you know in advance if we have to communicate with the prescriber. Um, regarding a problem. You always be kept involved. You always will be aware about what's going on. But we have, you know, we have to start doing this because um, our job is to ensure that we're optimizing your medications and working collaboratively with your other providers. So that's the way I approached it. I mean, it really was, I caught my 15 second elevator speech as I met with patients and stuff. And what's interesting for me is uh, I did not really get any pushback I've got a few patients, Corey, you know, we got a patient base of about 3,000 and it's a handful of patients, you know, I mean, it's on one hand that I can count that say, well, I really don't want you to do this. My doctor does that. For the most part, the patients that we have, one, appreciate that, have increased the loyalty. Um, I have patients who've come to me who said, 
you know, Randy, I come to you guys for a reason. It's because of the things that you're doing about um, reviewing my drug therapy, working closely with um, my other providers, and I appreciate that. So we've been able to maintain patients even though they may be pushed or being suggested by other um, insurance agents out there that, hey, you could save some money, but they see the value. So they're willing to pay a little bit more even though we may not be a preferred provider network. But I will also tell you what we need to start doing as a profession is we got to start ch challenging the system that's saying a preferred provider network should not be the one who takes the cheapest contract. The preferred provider network should be the, the provider who's providing optimal care at the most cost-efficient way. There is a difference, right? It's not about cheapness. It's about cost-effectiveness. And we can do that um, in an enhanced pharmacy network and a high-performing pharmacy network. And that's the thing we have to start driving to the payer community as well. Does sure. that answer your question? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Do you have any other questions for me, Corey? You know, I, I think that you pretty much addressed uh, everything that I really went after. Um, but one thing... Do you run into, uh, and I hesitate to say this uh, just because of my, you know, I love my practice, I love my patients, but there's this growing, at least in my mind, this growing, what can I get for free mentality? I hesitate to say entitlement, but uh, um, how, how do you tackle that? Yeah. Or are you seeing it? Yeah, I mean, to an extent, yes. And, and I tell you, that's not who we cater to. And so I'll give you a good example. I had a patient who, you know, would come to us and leave us, and it was all based upon coupons, right? We don't do coupons. So they would come back, transfer back to us because they liked us, but then they would, you know, say, oh, okay, if I go transfer this prescription, I can get a coupon. And, oh, I, really, and I approached them and said, you know what? I, I, can't I, said, I can't do this. I said, this is not what pharmacy is about. My job is to ensure you're, you're taking uh, medications that are being optimized, they're safe and effective, and with the process that you're using. So I said, you really shouldn't be coming to us unless you're going to stay with us. He ended up not staying with us because of that, and I was perfectly okay with that. So the people that we cater to and the things that we really promote is the value. And I think, Corey, you know, those kind of patients that are looking at it from just a perspective of they don't see the value, they just see you know, the cost. Um, that may be a no-win situation unless you can demonstrate to them. And sometimes it happens when they're in a situation when their health changes. All of a sudden, they see a different type of a pharmacy because they never had to use those services before. Now they have to use it. I used to always say that if I can convince my mom um, you know, of, about pharmaceutical care, I can convince anybody, and, and God rest her soul, she passed away um, back in 2013 – but I tell you what, when she got sick and then someone had to manage the medications for her, she got it. She understood it. She, I went to every single appointment. I assessed every single medication. I'm the one who was making and, – and people listened because I was also the person responsible for her care, right? What I tell people is that's the way you need to approach every single patient as if they're a loved one, as if they're a, a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, a, a very good friend, a close friend. We got to be accountable and we got to make sure we take our responsibilities seriously. And those are the patients that will come back to you. Those are the patients will be loyal to you. And those are the patients will stay with you um, through thick and thin as we experience this um, evolving market system. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, Corey, I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for your willingness to come on board this morning and um, look forward to having some more discussions with you in the future. Hey, thanks again. I appreciate it. Appreciate your insight. Sounds good. Thanks.
the Thrive Subscribe podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com, where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.